today on Ag News Daily. It, it's probably too soon to tell, but I mean, if we play this thing out, you, know, you and I both, you know, we, we were at that meeting a couple of years ago when, when this was the hot topic uh, about soybean uh, about soybean exports, and so it could certainly come up again. Good afternoon and happy Monday on the Ag News Daily Podcast here. Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, I was just telling you, I'm a little bit stressed this Monday. I just had a lot of stuff to do this week. It's technically is our spring break week, even though we don't really get a day off except for Friday from classes because of the pandemic. So I shouldn't be stressed, but I am stressed. So it's it's just kind of a, a mix of emotions, I guess. That's okay, Ashton. I understand those days were not that long ago for me when I had uh, lots on my plate with working and school and all that stuff. So I feel for you, especially when you get to a grad school level, you know, your your studies are a lot more rigorous and you're also working with me, obviously pretty, not quite full-time, but pretty heavily. So yeah, it's, it's a good uh, balancing act into the real world, Ashton. It really is. And I am doing online school. And so I just sit at my computer all day long. And so I'm like going cross-eyed at this point. I need to get some glasses or something to help me with like the the blu-ray glasses i guess i need mm-hmm. to to help me because i tell you my eyes are straining today yes those are definitely a good investment i have a pair myself so make sure you get one of those but ashton let's uh, hop into some news for today i don't have a whole lot of news as of yet this monday morning other than to kick things off i know big surprise i want to talk about south america We saw or had quite a bit of information that came out here over the past few days. I've been watching from a variety of sources. Um, I get Eric Snodgrass's daily newsletter. And he's, of course, with Nutrient Ag Solutions. He sends out some really good information talking about South America weather. I've been watching that pretty closely, as well as some other content, other um, sources, I should say, from Bloomberg, Reuters, etc., that have been talking about South American weather. So if you will indulge me here for Roman Ashton, I'd like to give a quick update on all of the different factors going on right now in South America, because there are quite a few that are going on that could impact the business of agriculture. The first of which is Brazil. They are, of course, chugging right along with their soybean harvest. But they're continuing to have quite a bit of wet conditions that's really slowing down their harvest overall. We're going to see continued rainfall in Brazil's west, center west and northern regions. And here over the next week or so, meteorologists are expecting precipitation levels about of about 5.9 to 6 inches and could get as high as 7 to 9 inches in other portions of the country. On Monday, we saw both corn and soybeans have pushed higher here today on concerns of those continued South American weather impact issues. And we also saw in a report emailed out by Ag Rural that as of March 11th, the 2020-2021 soybean harvest was just 46% complete for Brazil, compared to 59% complete this time last year. The consulting firm also expects soybean output to be around 133 3 million tons. So that's what's going on in Brazil. Now in Argentina, a little different story. I was watching some video content from Eric Snodgrass this morning, and he was indicating that portions of the 
eastern side of Argentina to Brazil are going to actually be drier here moving forward. But a large portion of Argentina's soybean producing area is going to continue to see their fair share of rain showers early this weekend into the weekend and could definitely increase some soil moisture and limit some crop losses. But despite these intensified rainfalls we see right now, as I mentioned there, he said we could see a drier than average period for April and May. And he thinks that could negatively impact the Safrina corn crop. So we're going to see some maybe mixed bag here on weather when it comes to corn and soybeans. But that's just a quick little update there. And we'll get Darren Newsom's take on that here in just a little bit. Delaney, I am glad that you brought up weather because I also have a weather update, not so much a, a weather update, but kind of a state of the industry update since the winter storm that we experienced down here in Texas. Initial estimates show that winter storm Yuri, which I didn't even realize that it had a name, caused more than $600 million in ag losses throughout Texas. But data is still being recorded as we are still recovering down here. So this is, you know, just where we're at currently. And Dr. Mark Waller, who is the head of the Agriculture Economics Department at Texas A&M, told Brownfield Ag News that at least $228 million is in the livestock sector alone. And the cause of that is that a lot of animals would walk out onto ponds and, and fall through that thin ice and, you know, died because of that. And then also we saw a lot of losses of young animals not used to this weather, which is, you know, something that we weren't prepared for down here, like animals are prepared for up in the Midwest. And Dr. Waller additionally said that $238 million is in citrus losses and $150 million is in vegetable crop losses. And that's going to be felt nationwide if people are sourcing things out of Texas, especially the Rio Grande Valley, which is, you know, in deep south Texas. And he also says that while transportation delays resulted in some milk dumping and milk and egg shortages in stores, those sectors recovered quite quickly. And Waller says that the loss estimates will continue to grow over time as we continue to monitor recovery of livestock, wheat, and forage crops. So definitely feeling these losses. I mean, it's taken some time to get some data out, but these numbers are um, certainly troubling, I would say. They certainly are, Ashton. You're absolutely right there. So I'm glad you're continuing to keep us up to date on that. I want to keep us up to date here on, and I, I don't know yet what the ramifications of this will be, but the new African swine fever strain that we've been talking a little bit about, a little bit more lately on the podcast. We saw Chinese authorities are saying that they are nearing full recovery, but there's continuing growing concern about this new possible outbreak from this newer strain that's starting. And we have seen several other Asian countries are beginning now to also see some of this strain impact their markets as well. But Monday, we saw corn futures on China's Dalian Commodity Exchange close at their lowest level in almost three months on Monday after recently setting record highs. So we're starting to see uh, domestic crop prices come down for China. That's supportive for their markets, not so much for ours. But the other question that remains is, you know, are are they going to be able to rebuild quick enough to hit their June 
target deadline. And as I mentioned last week on the podcast, I'm working on lining up some interviews uh, or getting at least some questions answered. So hopefully I'll be able to share more later this week. But Thailand is really the only country so far in that part of the and na- that part of the country ugh, in that part of the world that has not seen an African swine fever case reported yet, and so they have seen their pork export values jump more than three hundred percent since the beginning of African swine fever. We're also seeing that play out here in the lean hog market, which we'll get Darren Newsom's take on here in just a little while, Ashton. But yeah, I think there's a lot of questions that remain to be answered. Well, Delaney, a lot of people are also asking questions about what's going on in the state of the ethanol industry. And hopefully I'm also working on getting an interview scheduled to talk a little bit more about the ethanol industry like we talked about last week. But U.S. ethanol production plunged 13% last year due to the COVID-19 pandemic, which cost the industry around $4 billion in sales. But industry professionals say, are saying that it may recover fully by 2023 on the strength of larger exports and rising domestic use of higher blends of ethanol into gasoline. Ethanol industry officials have said that production may return to pre-pandemic levels in the year 2022 with output around 16 billion gallons and domestic use of 14.5 billion gallons. Exports could exceed 1.5 billion gallons this year with China back as a customer, according to the Renewable Fuels Association. The RFA and other pro-ethanol groups are pressing for wider sales of E15. In its outlook, FAPRI projected domestic ethanol use at 3.7 billion gallons this year and 14.2 billion gallons in 2022, compared to 12.7 billion gallons in 2020. Exports, which dropped 9% to 1.34 billion gallons in 2020, were forecast for 1.4 billion gallons this year and 1.7 billion gallons in 2022. And like I said, I'm, I'm trying to get an interview set up because I think that there's a lot of questions surrounding the ethanol industry. Of course, you know, if we're going to be back to pre-pandemic levels anytime soon, a lot of other things kind of going on in the world of ethanol. So hopefully we can get some of those questions answered, but it looks like things might be looking up. Well, another energy news, Ashton, palm oil advanced to fresh 13-year highs with gains in sweeping oil and petroleum helping the commodity uh, make its way to its longest winning streak in almost two decades. We've seen palm oil hit, as I mentioned, 13-year highs, and that's been slowly adding up here. It wasn't just overnight we saw that happen, but they climbed for about nine sessions here and are continuing to climb now, but that's somewhat supportive for soybean oil and petroleum prices as well. And uh, those two, well, petroleum does have some impact on, you know, ethanol and gasoline prices, soybean oil, not so much, but we're starting to see things here turn around. Um, And crude oil is also showing some signs that they might be past the pandemic and on their way to economic recovery as well, Ashton. Well, it's, Sounds like we're having a, you know, positive Monday today. And as we're entering into the spring season, we're getting a lot closer to planting season. So for our corn growers, this new program might be some use this year. 
the National Corn Growers Association has launched a take action program for farmers to make management before, during, and after the growing season easier. One of the tools is the herbicide classification chart recently updated for the current year. It breaks down herbicides labeled for corn and soybean production by a site of action. The Take Action mobile app has several weed control resources farmers can use on the go as well. The association says that weed management has become more complex, and the goal is to lessen the impact of resistant pests while preserving current and future crop protection technologies. So folks, if you're getting ready for your growing season, this app might be something you're interested in, and I, I think you can just get it in you know the, the app store, no matter if you have an Android, iPhone, you know whatever kind of smartphone you have. Yeah, I think you're right on that one there. So thanks for bringing that to our attention, Ashton. I think I just have markets left to chat about. Ashton, what about you? Do you have any other news our listeners need to be aware of today? Nothing else. Let's go ahead and get into the markets, Delaney. All right, fantastic. Well, let's do that. And as I mentioned, we saw corn and soybeans higher today, posting some gains on largely on news of continued South American production issues. May corn today up nine and a quarter cent, close at 548 and a quarter. This new crop down just a penny today to close at 477 and three quarters. In the soybean pits, May up six and a quarter cent today to close at 1419 and a half. November new crop unchanged on the day to close at 12.43 and three quarters. Hopping over to take a look at Chicago wheat today, the May contract up five cents to close at 6.43 and a half. The July up four and a quarter cent to close at 6.36 and a quarter. Now taking a look over at the livestock pits today, green in the cattle complex as the April live cattle added 12 and a half cents to close at 1.19.12 and a half. The June up $1.35 to close at 1.21.77 and a half. And in feeder cattle today, the April contract up 70 cents to close at 143.92 and a half. The May up $1.35 to close at 149.72 and a half. In lean hogs today, the April contract down 85 cents to close at 90.55. The May down 62.5 cents to close at 93.02 and a half. And rounding out our markets with the class three dairy milk futures. April down 20 cents today to close at 17.51. The May down 13 cents to close at 18.18. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Darren Newsom to talk markets for today. Well, as promised, we're chatting with the fantastic Darren Newsom today of Darren Newsom Analysis to chat markets. Darren, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Delaney. Uh, good to visit with you again. Absolutely. Darren, I want to start out with a little bit of a softball question for you, because I know you write your own commentary. You follow a lot of markets that are outside of just the ags. What are you watching? What stories are out there that our listeners need to be aware of that could impact ag commodities, but are maybe something they're not necessarily going to watch day to day? Yeah, yeah. One, one of the big discussions out there is that we're going to see inflation. Uh, that you know, and, and and if we look at the, the you know the the outside commodities, we look at commodities in general. You know, it would seem to make that argument, but you know, from a, just a purely technical point of view, if I look at the long-term charts, you know, I, I see where the U.S. dollar could actually go up. And so that's not inflationary. And, you know, we, we look out at uh, U.S. Treasury futures uh, with uh, both uh, 10-year T-notes and 30-year T-bonds, and, and those are going higher, meaning prices are going down, yields have been going up. Uh, so, 
you know, what it's indicating is that we could be getting set for, you know, we're looking at higher interest rates long term, possibly strengthening the dollar, possibly bringing uh, some global investment money back into the dollar. And if so, can these commodities go up forever or do we hit a point where, okay, we know we've got tight supplies in a number of different sectors from energies and, 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 you know, hogs and grains and oil seeds and so on. Does all that start to reverse? Do we start to put tops in some of these? That's, that's, you know, that's some of the outside, uh, that's some of the outside influencing markets that we can certainly keep an eye on is, is treasuries and, and, and the currencies. Well, Darren, I've got a follow-up question here for you. If we do see that happen, we see the U.S. dollar continue to strengthen. You know, exports is always the big question there. Mm-hmm. But what do we see happening with other currencies worldwide? Are we seeing them inflate or rise as well? Or is, are we just seeing the U.S. dollar be a little overvalued? Well, you know, the, the big one uh, in, in, uh, in, the, in the corn belts, obviously, the Brazilian real. And it has it's gone up here short term. Long term, it's still sitting down about as low as it's ever been. So we still have an incredibly weak real. We've got the dollar that has weakened, but looks like it's going to try to strengthen. So all of a sudden, if we get back into a situation, let's say Brazil has a big crop and there, and the real is, uh, is cheap and the U.S. dollar starts to firm and, and U.S. doesn't have many soybeans left. All of a sudden, we could be looking at a situation. I mean, U.S. beans are already priced over those in Brazil. It's just the world is waiting on, you know, waiting to waiting to get this harvest in and have those supplies become available. So, you know, I, I think there is a discussion to be had on, you know, will we continue to see this kind of export demand? Uh, it has been incredible the first half of the 2020-21 marketing year. But, you know, can it continue? We haven't seen sales for quite some time. Uh, and, and again, it's just, you know, the world's largest buyers on the sidelines right now waiting to see how soon Brazilian supplies become available. Yeah, I want to get back to talking about South American weather, but I want to talk a little bit more about export demand here for a second, Darren. We've been slowly seeing more and more headlines come out about this new strain of African swine fever that's going on in China right now. What are you hearing? Do you think that this new strain is going to be part of the reason we see China slow down on exports or is it just too soon to tell? You know, it's it's probably too soon to tell, but I mean, if we play this thing out, you, know, you and I both, you know, we we were at that meeting a couple of years ago when when this was the hot topic uh, about soybean uh, about soybean exports, and so it could certainly come up again. Now, you know, the U.S. still has some U.S. still has some soybeans on the books, and you know, China continues to I'm going to guess continue continues to book some uh, some new crop Brazilian uh, soybeans as well. So. I think it's a sort of story that that still has room to play. I don't know that it's I don't know that the spotlight's on it right now. Uh, it certainly could be possibly by the end of the year, possibly as we get into the latter part of the 21-22 marketing year. Uh, but I do think it's going to be important again. I do think it's going to play a role in in what type of exports we see, not necessarily this marketing year, but possibly next. All right. Well, Darren, let's turn our attention back to talking South America. We were just talking about it earlier on the podcast here, getting some mixed uh, mixed weather patterns ahead mm-hmm. here for Brazil and Argentina. Brazil's still behind on their their production or their harvest for the year. What are we going to see for production numbers? Are we going to see some of their record <laughs> level crops like people have been floating around? Oh, I'm going to say it's going to be somewhere between 200 million metric tons and zero. 
I have no idea. Nobody knows. Everyone just likes to guess. Uh, nobody knows. But the, but the bottom line is, I mean, the, the key is this May, July future spread. I mean, for a long time, uh, we, we were, this thing's been pushing with a strong inverse. So it was telling us that, you know, the overall market beyond South American harvest, uh, was still concerned about a tight supply and demand situation. Well, that's, you know, it, it's still inverted. But it's weakening and it weakened again here to start the week. So uh, while it's still bullish, it's not as bullish. So, it, so really, all we know is South America, Brazil is going to produce something. The market is still viewing it as a bullish situation, just not as bullish as it was before. It's all normal. It, it, it's the way it should be. It's the way it usually plays out. I don't have any idea. Nobody knows what production numbers are going to be. Uh, it's interesting to sit back and listen to everybody act like they do know, but they have no clue. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. And we'll see when uh, combines are done rolling and when everything's tucked into a bin or moved to port or whatever the case might be. Um, Till then, we'll just have to watch what the market tells us. Darren, I'm glad you mentioned the spreads. Tell us uh, about the May-July spread going on right now in the corn market. It's also inverted. It is also inverted. And, you know, it was it was an interesting day today uh, coming into this session. You know, we knew uh, that this was the day that uh, CME's uh, position, uh, uh, spec position limits were going to be increased. And so I was curious as to how these uh, spreads would play out. And so we did see some commercial selling going on soybeans. Again, no big deal coming out of a harvest weekend. But in corn, we saw just the opposite. We saw some commercial buying. So on top of the potential for new non-commercial or speculative buying that was going on in the corn market, we also saw some some commercial activity. And so you know, this, this was impressive. We were able to see the May-July pop to a, it looks like it closed at 11 and three quarter cent inverse. It was up of a you know penny, penny and a half for the day. Uh, broke some old trend line resistance. So it was an impressive day. And again, it it hints at the fact that we've still got some commercial buying going here. We've still got solid demand uh, for U.S. corn. It's not slowing down anytime soon. Could this have something to do with say uh, Brazil's second crop? Absolutely. Argentina's crop certainly. All these things are in play. We don't know the why, but we can see the what. What is commercial traders were just as active in buying corn as the non-commercial side with this, uh, with these increased position limits. So, Darren, I know you're not an overly bullish guy, but looking at corn and soybeans right now, which one are you more bullish? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say. Yeah, I, I know my reputation to be kind of bearish, but, uh, um, you know, the reality, I mean, in, in honesty, really, I'm just a realist. And, and so I just go by what the market's telling me. Um, and right now. Soybeans are still the most bullish market out there because we could look at the forward curve. We could look at the, you know, the accumulation of, uh, of future spreads out through the 21, 22 market year and they're all inverted. Whereas the new crop, with the new crop corn is showing a carry. It's not a strong carry, but it's showing a carry. So, you know, that they're, they're still both still bullish, but soybeans are just more bullish longer. Could it change? Sure. Will it change? Absolutely. Uh, but for right now, if I'm leaning one way or the other, I'd still be leaning towards soybeans, but we've got to watch this May-July spread because it does indicate that the uh, the commercial idea of what's going on or what we have available is starting to change. Darren, give us your quick takes on the wheat complex. Wheat was really interesting to me today. Uh, you know, we saw the U.S. dollar a little bit firmer, but I don't think anybody was really paying attention to that. My interest was uh, coming out of the weekend with this huge rain system that we saw move across the plains in the Midwest. I thought we might see more pressure 
on the new crop winter markets and uh, as we headed into the close, uh, that just wasn't the case. I mean, we saw both sets in the green today. So, you know, maybe it's going to take a day or two. Maybe, you know, the commercial side is just going to stay on the sidelines for a bit. But we didn't see that expected pressure, that at least not the, some of the pressure that I was expecting coming out of the weekend. So is wheat still bullish? Yeah, it's not as bullish as the other markets. New crop, I think the uh, you know the jury's still out on the new crop right now. They're taking a wait and see approach, which again is 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 normal this time of year. Uh, the the winter crop's just getting ready to come out of dormancy, or it has been coming out of dormancy, and should finish it off here in the next couple of weeks. It should be up and growing, and then we'll see what happens. And it's all going to it's all going to depend on the weather if we start to break this drought across the southern plains, uh, and possibly let's say the U.S. Midwest gets too wet. So you know a lot of weather issues to play out right now, and and uh, new crop wheat seems to be taking a wait and see approach. Darren, let's talk livestock here. I should be beating myself up a little bit because I haven't asked this question earlier on the podcast, but if you look at cash cattle, they've been mm-hmm. locked into the same $114 per hundred weight here for about a month or so. What's going on? Yeah. What are we going to need to see to spark it out of that? Well, we've got a lot of head out there, uh, a lot of head of cattle. And some of them got backed up so that they, you know, as, as a friend of mine likes to say, they, you know, they were coming out as elephants. They were huge. So we had a lot of meat available. Uh, and so there really wasn't any reason. There hasn't been any reason for the packers to push the cash price. So, as you said, it's been locked into this 114 for the last six weeks or so. Uh, but what's interesting is the April futures contract has not really been able to break down much below that 118, 118. And so what that so what we've got here is maybe I could use the old line. What we've got here is a failure to communicate. But um, what we really got here is a very weak basis situation. And that's not good for hedgers. So if they've got some April hedges on, on the idea that this contract was going to break down to meet cash and this was going to firm uh, as we head into the end of March or April, it just isn't happening. So, you know, they're probably paying some margin call against the uh, the short futures positions, the short April futures positions and basis is working against them. So this is kind of a worst case scenario for having a hedge in place. Why isn't the April contract going down? I really don't have any idea. You know, I don't pay much attention to the why, but we can see the what. The what looks like it's being supported by some non-commercial buying because commercially, I mean, we're seeing the April lose ground to the June contract every day. There's a lot of there's a lot of hope being built into this June contract, tying it to uh, tying it to some you know, economic recovery, both here in the United States and around the world. Uh, so June's been able to really uh, move higher and test its contract high today. But the April contract's just sitting there, just holding that 119, 119 and a half. And so somebody's going to have to blink uh, in this game of chicken. We're either going to have to see the Packers start to bid up or the futures contract theoretically is going to have to break down. Uh, Packers aren't known for being a generous lot, uh, but it could happen. I mean, we could finally see, I mean, we could see one of those odd scenarios where it isn't necessarily fundamentals win in the end. That's one of my rules. Is it fundamentals win in the end? Maybe not this time. Uh, or maybe there's just something fundamentally out there that we're not seeing and, uh, and that the, uh, and it does finally force the Packers to start paying them to pay, paying more. Yeah. The, the Packers aren't generally, uh, uh, overly, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? What's the word you use, Darren? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, they, they're generous, you know, generous. Yes. Yeah, you know, they, they usually don't, 
they usually don't overpay, I, I guess is another way we could say it. And, you know, if they don't feel like they have to push the market higher, they won't. Uh, but again, we've, we've been at this stalemate for a month and a half. Uh, so, you know, at some point, somebody's going to have to give and it's going to be interesting. Fundamentally, I mean, excuse me, technically, it looks like the April contract's in a downtrend. It just can't go lower. And, you know, I got another one of my rules, uh, rule number 4A, a market that can't go down won't go down. And that certainly seems to fit for April cattle, at least right now. Uh, it hasn't been able to go down. doesn't look like it wants to go down at this point. What are your rules uh, right now? Is there anything going on in the lean hog market our folks should be aware of? Yeah, I know it was lower today, uh, and we did see some commercial selling today. You know, this, this is one of the more bullish markets out there. We've seen some non-commercial money coming in. We've, we've got very strong future spreads. Could be getting a little top heavy, though. We did see, uh, we did see the nearby contract pushing 100, if not, if I remember, some back month, some back month contracts pushing 100, uh, here at the end of last week. So getting a little pricey, pushing up into their uh, price distribution range. So not too surprising. We saw a little bit of a breakdown today. The key will be is if all of a sudden, you know, demand starts to dry up, cash market starts to turn south and these sorts of things. And we start to see some of this pressure again come into the spreads. If that's the case, then these markets do look a little bit overpriced. And there is some room on the on the non-commercial side for some liquidation in here. So it's a bit of a concern. Uh, I'm still bullish hogs, but I mean, they're just they're very high. Uh, and sometimes when you get a little overextended, uh, you, you can you can fall off that cliff pretty quick. Absolutely. Well, Darren, before I let you go, for those of our listeners that want to catch up on more of your thoughts, you do quite a bit of analysis yourself. Tell us a little bit more about how they can find that commentary. Easiest way to find the commentary, analysis, and so on is to go to DarrenNewsom.com. Uh, go to the services page. You can sign up for a seven. 7- day free free trial take a look around see everything that we talk about uh, you know all of the different types of analysis that we do all the different types of commentary uh, a lot of it's not something you'll find in other places uh, it's our own it's my own style of doing things but just go to Darren Newsom got uh, Darren take a look around see what you like see what you don't like and, uh, and we'll go from there fantastic Darren thanks so much for joining today to chat market it's always a pleasure uh, thanks for having me on again Delaney Well, again, a big thank you there to Darren Newsome for chatting markets today. Ash, and I don't know about you, but I certainly always learn a lot when Darren's on the podcast. I do as well. And we forgot to mention earlier in the podcast, Delaney, that today is the four-year anniversary of the Ag News Daily Podcast. How do you feel? Oh, you're right. We did forget to mention that. We're going to do kind of more of a celebratory episode next week. But um, I was talking about it with my boyfriend this weekend, just, you know, four years is a long time. And I think, you know, I don't have a firm number. I'd have to go back and count pretty close to a thousand episodes at this point, Ashton. So it seems like a lot. I'm a little overwhelmed to think about it in that stance. But hey, I'm glad we've made it this long. Absolutely. It's really exciting to be a part of the podcast. Although I haven't been here for four years, I'm almost at the one year mark. So it's been a great experience. But folks, if you want to go back and listen to the very first episode and see how... No, don't yeah. listen to it. It's bad. <laughs> how the Ag News Daily podcast has has grown and developed, you can do so at agnewsdaily.com. And be sure to follow along on social media while you're at it at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Without Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.